All right. Merry Christmas, everybody. It is so good to be with you who uh, have... Uh, we worked through what I consider the brutal weather of Southern California. Now, you understand, I love Southern California. It's my favorite place to live. But after growing up in Minnesota and then living in Seattle... When we get a little rain here, the response is fascinating to me. Uh, oh, how terrible the weather is. You know, we get more wet in the shower. But somehow, so, so for those of you who braved this, for those of you who uh, uh, stayed dry and are joining us from home, uh, uh, nice, nice to uh, be with you. Two natures in one. We shared last week that our hope around here is that this would be the most meaningful Christmas for all of us as we contemplate again the birth of the one, the one who's different from everybody else. And we're going to pull that apart this morning. So I'm going to start with a question. Jesus was human. I think most of us embrace that. And Jesus was and is God and has always been God. So here's the question for the day. Could Jesus have sinned? Was it possible? Now, I'm going to ask you to take out your phone, and we're going to take a little poll. So take out your phone. This is the one time when I'm going to encourage you to take out your phone while you're at church, and there are no NFL games yet. Second service, this will be a risk. Go to the texting and you text in the number 1657-366-4799. Now, I already did this, and it works. 657, do you think you can do that? 366, okay, I'm doing it again too. And then 4799. Does anybody need help with this part of it? Everybody's good? And then text in two natures. Now, I was going to have you raise your hands this morning, but I didn't want to embarrass anybody by them getting the answer wrong. Now, if you do that, up should pop, uh, 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 up should pop a thing that gets you get to vote one or two. One for yes, two for no. How are we doing on this? We doing all right? Nobody's going to be a coward. Everybody's going to vote. One for yes, two for no. How are we doing? Are we getting there? Rob, you need a little help with the number? You got it? Okay, you're good, you're good. Okay, everybody got it? And then we're going to watch the results because this is one of the questions that we're going to try and answer today. So we got 33 that say yes, 30 that, 32 that say no. Okay, you're watching this? You guys at home can do this too, so join and again, my encouragement is no cowards in the midst. We've kept this anonymous. If you end up being wrong, because I am going to try and answer this question this morning, if you end up being wrong, nobody's going to know. Just you and Jesus will live in your humiliation alone. Just the two of you will uh, absolutely know. So here we go. Yes, no. 43 say yes. 48 say no. He could not have sinned. So that feels, like it's, uh, that feels like it's winning. Now, you're keeping track of your answer? Are you looking forward to getting the answer? 
Because here's part of my passion. We get all warm and fuzzy at Christmas. Feels like to me we don't always have the deepest appreciation for who this Jesus is. We talk about him being human. We talk about him being God. Two natures combined into one person. But I'm going to tell you, I think the heart of the joy of Christmas is going, oh, man. The reason he is the one is because there is no like him. So I'm going to attempt to pull this apart like never before. 50 to 50. So we're going to have half of our people that will at least that will be wrong unless they keep adding to this. So this is Christmas. Christmas is the celebration of God choosing to come to earth. It's the celebration of the incarnation of God, second person of the Trinity, the son becoming a human being. We call that act, the incarnation, literally taking on flesh, becoming a human being. This is an awe-inspiring, life-changing truth. That is absolutely essential our faith. It's foundational. My hope is that we'll leave here with just a little more awe than we arrived. Going, oh my, oh my, oh my. This birth is more than worthy of celebration. So, Father, as we talk about your son here more, these ideas again, oh, Father, they are familiar. For, oh, for so many of us, these truths, we've been hearing about them for as long as we've been alive. You know, my concern, Father, is sometimes that familiarity keeps us from appreciating more fully the depth and significance who you are of who your son is. So I pray, no matter how many times we've thought about the incarnation, we've thought about Jesus coming into the world, I don't care how many times we have stinking celebrated it over our lives, may the beauty and the glory, oh, Father, and the happiness it comes with being genuinely awed by who Jesus is. May that be our experience. May that be the foundation of our celebration of this Christmas. We ask this in the name of that baby. Amen. So, Jesus has two natures put into one person. The first is he's a human. He was born. Births. That's, that's why we love Christmas. He was born. Who doesn't get those warm, fuzzy feelings when a baby is born? It is, it's just beautiful. He was nursed. His mother had to feed him milk. He cried. He slept. He grew physically. He ate. He perspired. And he bled. He grew an understanding. 
He had emotions. So that's just a few of the characteristics. This baby that was born was a human being. Not many folks have doubted that because there was a baby. He's also God. Always has been, always will be. He was preexistent. He's the creator. Jesus was not only there at creation, Jesus participated in creation. He's the sustainer of all that is. He's the ultimate judge. And then I'm adding emotions because this is as I've gotten older. Feels like to me we can de-emotionalize God. When we think about Jesus, we go, of course he had emotions because he's human. God has emotions. It's part of our being created in his image. We get our emotions from God, not just the son as a, as a human being once he became incarnate, but God has emotions. I've probably told you in all kinds of places I've asked, usually men's, men's Bible studies, what emotions do you think God primarily experiences? Two always come up at the top. Anger and disappointment. This is 37 years asking this question of Bible study. I just asked it about six weeks ago to a group I'm leading. Guess what they came up with? Anger and disappointment. Ah! This is a lousy view of God. Let me tell you God's primary emotion. It's joy. It's happiness. Why? Because there ain't anything better than being God. You always get your way when you're God. When do we get unhappy? When we don't get our way. Just go back and think about it. God never has that experience. Is he disappointed sometimes? Is he angry sometimes? Absolutely. But that's not his predominant emotion. He's God. For pity's sakes, there's nothing better than being God. It makes somebody really stinking happy. Now, Jesus has never forfeited any of his divinity. And I'm going here, and we touched on it last week because it feels like to me a fairly, a fairly prominent view. Because we got some texts in the scriptures that are hard to explain. Sometimes God, Jesus appears to respond from one nature over another. But orthodox theology is that you have these two natures, totally, that are combined into one indivisible nature. Those words make sense to everybody? But some people go, Jesus gave up some of his godness in coming to become a human being. And they use this text from Philippians 2. The bigger idea here is Paul's trying to tell the church of Philippi, I want you to live like Jesus did in humility. Don't be going to try and impress everybody else. Don't live for that. Find your identity in Christ. Don't be trying to impress other people. And he uses Jesus as the ultimate example of humility. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, is actually God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. He didn't insist on being recognized as God, though he had every right to. He forfeited it. It's part of what we celebrate at Christmas. And this is the phrase, the particular word from which people try to suggest biblically that Jesus gave up some of his divinity, but emptied himself. The Greek word here, it comes from a word, if you're familiar, kenosis, the kenosis passage. 
he emptied himself. Now, if you just read that word and that phrase, I think you could conclude he gave up some of his divinity. You with me? Feels like it, doesn't it? Until you read the next phrase. And Paul goes on to explain how he emptied himself. He's already told us what he emptied himself of. He didn't hang on to having to be recognized as God. He emptied himself not by giving anything up, but by adding to himself. And what did Jesus, Almighty God, add to himself? Humanity. He emptied himself not by giving anything up, but by adding something, which kept him from being recognized as who he actually is. But emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. So Jesus was God, is God, and will always be God. He never for a second has stopped being God. He hasn't given up any of his godness or his divinity. Ever. Now, Jesus' incarnation, two natures into one person, mystery. I love my favorite of our distinctives around here, my favorite, and I've had lots of people suggest they've never seen it, is embracing inevitable tensions. When we work through as humans what we can understand about God until we get to that place where we go, oh man, this is a brain twister. Now when we ponder this, how does it often feel? It hurts. It creates tension. What do too many people do is my fear. They stop thinking about it. And they miss the joy, the miss, the awe that can come with wrestling with who Jesus is. He's a human, he's God, he is divine. He was born, and yet he was eternally existing. How does someone who's eternally existing, always has been, how do they get born? How do they have a beginning? We're going to look at it more next week when we go to section uh, uh, episode three. You can guess what that's about. The Holy Spirit was involved. But how does an eternally existing being, the pre-existent one, have a birth? He was in Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem. And they went to Nazareth. He eventually ascended into heaven while simultaneously being omnipresent. How does that work exactly? That you're sitting in that feeding trough, your mother's taking care of you, and you're also everywhere. He slept while simultaneously he was sustaining the cosmos. And if you read Psalm 121.4, God never slumbers or sleeps. How do you sleep the indivisible nature 
human God and yet one nature. How do you sleep and yet never sleep? How does that exactly work? Stronger. He was a little baby. He had to have everything done for him, and then he got stronger. He was actually able to help his dad as a carpenter, but you know where I'm going. He was also simultaneously omnipotent. How's that work? I'd like to figure that out, especially as a guy who's losing what little strength I had over my life, and the golf ball no longer goes as far as it used to. How does this work? He prayed. While he was simultaneously the all-sufficient God. He's God Almighty praying to the Father while he is actually God himself. How does God pray to God? He grew. Immutable. God the same yesterday, today, and forever. How's that work? He learned. Can you guess what word I'm going to put over here? He grew in wisdom. You know what the next word is. What's it going to be? Omniscient. He knew everything and has always known everything. How does somebody who knows everything grow and learn more? How? How's that work? On the cross. Father, why have you forsaken me? And yet at the same time, he is God himself, and God is indivisible. How's this work? Now I'm going to try to answer the question I asked you. You remember how many of you said yes, and how many of you said no? It was pretty split. Could Jesus have said, you guys did it? The rest of you who didn't answer, I'm just going to call you a coward, and you go to God with that. So the issue is, was he really tempted or was he not tempted? Was he tempted so that he could have actually sinned? Or because he's God, was he tempted but he's God so he can't actually sin? Where we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, in every respect, yet without sin. Yes, he could have sinned, right? Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. No, we can't sin. How many of your heads are hurting just a little bit? Not at all? I've been thinking about this stuff for 40 years. My head still hurts a little bit. So you want my answer to could Jesus have sinned or not sinned? Could Jesus have sinned? Yes, he was tempted in every way like you are. How many of you said that? Let's see the hands. Could Jesus have sinned? No, he was God. How many of you said no? Now, here's what I don't like. I don't like having two answers. Because part of who Jesus is, is he's human and he's divine in one indivisible nature. So as soon as I give two answers, 
I promoted the wrong idea. I say, yes, he could have sinned. I maybe diminish his divinity. I say, no, he couldn't have sinned. I potentially diminish his humanity. And we don't want to do either. Now, if you Google this and look it up, most evangelicals will go to, no, Jesus couldn't have sinned. The term for that is the impeccability of Christ. Because he's God, it was not possible for him to sin. I look at that verse in Hebrews, and it feels like to me that's potentially diminishing his humanity. He was tempted in all ways like we are, except without sin. He really didn't have the possibility of sinning. That feels like to me it diminishes the input of what he went through. So what's my answer? Yes and no, but no, I don't want to have two answers. I'm embracing the tension. Like how he can be in one place and I'm the present, I'm just going to tell you, I flippin' don't know how that works. But I'm going to tell you this, it's way more interesting thinking about that than watching a guy dunk a basketball or watching cars go around in a circle. And I'm afraid we're sometimes tempted to avoid thinking about it because it hurts a little bit. It's hard to figure out. So why is the incarnation important? Jesus had to be human to live a sinless life for us. This doesn't get discussed that much. We talk about how Jesus went to the cross and, and died for us. There's the cross, our symbol of it over there. But what made him a perfect sacrifice was the 33 years of a sinless life. He had 1,300 years of the sacrificial system. Every sacrifice had to be without blemish. He was tempted in every way like we are, guys. I believe every way. Because he was human. And yet he didn't sin. So that when he went to that cross, he could actually go there because he was sinless. To be the sacrifice for our sin. Because humans had sinned. The author of Hebrews puts it this way. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things. Had to, if he's going to die in our place. That through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death. That is the devil and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham, human beings. Therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation, to take the righteous anger of God on himself for the sins of the people. This incarnation is a big deal because Jesus had to be a human to pay the price for us, to be our example. One of my favorite texts not because I live it always so well, but because it challenges me always to live it more thoroughly. Peter writing to folks who are facing persecution. For to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example. 
Oh, if we could live this out more thoroughly so that you might follow in his steps. Again, he committed no sin essential. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. My nature is still to return revile. This is my nature with a little more force than I received it. I'm not just going to get even. My nature is to give you a little more than you gave me. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. I got one word to describe what it means to follow in the example of Christ, to be loving. No matter what we face. To sympathize and intercede for us. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize right now as he's in heaven interceding on our behalf. We don't need a priest down here. Why we're pastors, not priests here. You look at other faiths, that word carries theological significance. Pastor, shepherd, not a priest. Because Jesus is the priest. Unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And I love verse 16. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Christmas is a fabulous time. I love this season. Be with people you love. There's this general spirit of love. Get to be with family and have these celebration and give each other all crap that we none of us needs. Tell me this isn't a great season. Not for everybody. For way too many, this is a reminder of what they don't have. Of the relationships that they're not enjoying. That this baby, even during the Christmas time, is up there willing to intercede for us and he understands the pain. He went through, I believe, the gangly teenage years. Trust me, he knew what it was like to be rejected by people that he thought loved him. And he intercedes for us and he understands it all. Not just because he's God, that would have been enough. But the author of Hebrews once understands he's been in our place. And now he's interceding for us. Even in Christmas. When everybody else seems to have everything together, and let me assure you, nobody has everything together. Everybody's got challenges. And that baby, even at Christmas, wants to hear about our pain, about our hurt, and wants to intercede for us. And Jesus had to be God to live a sinless life for us, that he could have a record that when he went to be the sacrifice for our sin would actually count. Because only God could pay the price for everyone's sin. Even if Jesus had lived a perfect life, theoretically, hypothetically, it's not going to happen, and yet he hadn't been God and he died for us, it wouldn't have worked. He had to be God because only God has the power. 
to take away all that sin. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John the Apostle, we're in John right now. Why does he start with this? Because he wants people to understand Jesus is God. He was born, he walked around, he hammered nails, he ate, he drank, he did everything. Did he burp? We'll just leave it there. I'm just going to leave it there. But I had years ago about an eighth grade kid asked me more specifically, did God, did Jesus do this? Yes, he was a human being. It's God. Jesus said to them, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me? Philip, whoever has seen me has seen the Father. I'm God. Paul writes it this way in letter to Timothy. For there is one God and there is one mediator, only one between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Only Jesus. So why is Jesus' birth, his incarnation, such a big deal? I wrote it out so I could get it very precise. The uniting of Jesus' divinity and humanity is essential for him to be our Savior. It doesn't work without both those sides of that coin. So that we might be saved, redeemed, forgiven, declared righteous, adopted as children of God, given eternal life. And for me, even on this issue of could Jesus have sinned, I am bewildered. He was tempted every way like we are, but without sin. I don't want to diminish that. But he's God. Lots of folks celebrating Christmas. There are lots of folks using vocabulary very similar to ours. I don't mean to pick on anybody, not my intent, but that there be clarity. The Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses, they diminish the divinity of Christ. They make him a created being. Layers to it, dimensions to it. Trying to solve the mystery that we say we're going to embrace as we read the scriptures. They make it simpler. But they're wrong. And it's a very dangerous theological position. Worse than that, I will call it heresy. Heresy for me is our view of God is so wrong that it keeps us from experiencing salvation. There are others that want to diminish his humanity. There was these docetists in the, from the word docao, knowledge. Hey, we got new knowledge about Jesus. He came, he died for us, he rose from the dead, all that. To be saved, you've got to place your faith in Christ alone. But we got this new knowledge. He wasn't a real human being. It was God coming down and appearing to be a human being. John in his first epistle calls those folks with that view antichrists. That's like the worst thing anybody could be called. 
they get a lot right about him dying, rising from the dead, but they diminish his humanity. That's why we're going to get this one right at Christmas and every other time of the year. And this is what we enjoy at Christmas. So here's what I'm going to suggest. Read Matthew 1, 18 to 25 every day this week. Last week, it was the, 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 the text from Luke, Luke 2. This week, it's Matthew 1. Read these verses every day. And when I say read, I actually mean read. Not read like we usually think we mean read. You know, we usually decode these words without actually sometimes looking for the depth of thought that's there. I'm going to encourage you to actually read these this week. Then I'm going to encourage you to contemplate the mystery of Jesus' incarnation. More than you have thus far. Over my pastoral life, I've had, oh, several guys, I don't know, seven, who come to me and they say, Todd, we got to talk. And I'm like, why? They go, I got this tension in my head. And I say, well, will you explain it to me? They end up describing a tension that is a result of considering who Jesus is, who God is. And it hurts their head and it troubles them. You know what I say to those folks? I think God is up there with a huge smile. I actually think you have a more accurate view of him than you had before. You're worried because you're experiencing this tension. Let me tell you, I was worried about you before. This God is glorious. This God is awe-filling. And thinking about him makes my head hurt. Some 35, 38 years ago, I had to work through that pain to get to the place to go, my, he is glorious. So ponder him. Think about him. It's why knowing the text is so important. Sometimes people come to me and they go, oh, I guess this is just one of those inevitable tensions. And I want to say, no, this one's actually answered if we knew the Bible a little better. That's why knowing the truth of who he is is so important so that we can recognize the genuine tensions. And then after we contemplate it, celebrate. My purest worship, my purest worship is thinking about How can he be God and a human being at the same time and yet be one person, two natures and one? Now we're going to talk about it more when we get to three next week. Combined to that, the Trinity. Oh, man, how does this work? This is glorious. Initiate conversations about the mystery of Jesus' incarnation with friends with kids, particularly if we have young kids, grandkids, ask questions without attempting to answer them. Let them process. But show them the joy that comes with asking questions and thinking. 
not always having a pat answer that we just get them to verbalize so that we can go on. Yeah, this is hard stuff, some of this stuff. But beautiful, glorious, inspiring. This is the guy we love. Christmas. Feels like to me some of us, we get caught up in these things. We don't actually deal with the stuff that's at the core of the hurt of our life. It's a time for us just to pretend we're not really dealing with those things. I think it's a great time to go to Jesus. He loves us. He understands everything we're dealing with. Your pain right now, doesn't matter to me what time of year it is. Jesus is our high priest. He's up there interceding for our good, our pain, our hurts. Enjoy the season. Let's not, let's not pretend for four weeks that we don't have real pain. I actually don't believe that glorifies him. I think when we go to him with our pain, he goes, you get who I am. I love you, and I'm here to help you. Enjoy the holidays because it's mostly about me. Don't pretend there's not hurt and pain. And lastly, enjoy every Christmas celebration. Wherever it is, at work or wherever else, even if people that we're celebrating don't get it's really about Jesus' birth, celebrate. Party, party, party. Whether the folks we're celebrating with get it or not. I told you last week, it is my conviction. Those of us who love Christ ought to be the best partiers the world has ever seen. We got all this other stuff, plus we got Jesus. Tell me, that's not a reason to stand up and dance and celebrate. We got one tonight. I promised you last week, I'll make the promise again. You will not be disappointed tonight. You bring friends, families, particularly those that you want to introduce to Jesus. This is a Christmas concert for us that is designed to be a place for us to invite folks who need to meet Jesus and put them in a place where they're going to come and they are going to see Jesus. Happy, really well done music, and then maybe some cookies and hot chocolate, and you get to go invite them out for pie afterwards. What could be better? Cookies here and then pie later. Tell me Christmas ain't a good time. Father, you are good. You are glorious and you love us. Thanks for sending Jesus into this world. Father, as I pray as I started today, I ask this for my own life. Oh, Father, continue to fill me with the genuine awe that comes from contemplating your son. Oh, Father, he is glorious agreed to leave the glory of heaven, forfeit being recognized as God, become one of us. The humility even in that act alone before he goes to the cross is more than I can conceive. But keep me thinking about it. Help me understand more and more the motive which moved you to send him and Jesus to come. 
your love. Father, may your love fill us with in this season. And may your love fill us every day of our lives until we see you face to face. 